Welcome back to Voicecraft. This conversation underlines a waypoint in the project and a development of the podcast. For years, an aim of this work has been to invite participation in the creation of a unique cultural context for relating to what matters, where authenticity and soul are welcome in efforts to understand and respond to the reality of being here at this moment in history. One effort to address this vision took form in the Voicecraft Network, a private social platform. It began shortly after the COVID lockdowns in 2020, when local events became illegal in Melbourne for the better part of two years. Of course, the podcast was making efforts to share and connect with people around the world two years earlier. But now with the network, there was a hub that could make more tangible the call to participate in transformative conversations. I realised quite early on in this journey that the quality of my own voice, no matter how much I tried, was not and is never going to be sufficient to really connect with enough of the people that actually share an appreciation for the criticality of the vision of this project. Moreover, this is a project that seeks to create contexts for many voices, to be a context shaped by many voices, and it needs to attract in order to do that. So to that end, Almost exclusively, this podcast has featured guests where collaborative relationships were sought, at least in spirit, where broadcasting of content from guest to audience wasn't the primary effort, where there was something far more alive and consequential at play, real thinking, real relating, a sincere and fearless grapple with the mysteries of psyche, culture and nature, of the dynamics of power and influence in the pre and post digital world. Of course, this was all rate limited by my own inspiration and interests and the challenge of economic viability over long stretches of effort. But the idea was that the quality of that effort would attract enough of those people who could join in doing the same. So after a long period of cultivating a context resonant with the vision and calling of this project, there has been for a little while a growing cultural space wherein quite natural connections are forming, and now it seems a natural step for some of those contributing voices in the network to share material here on the podcast. If you're a returning listener, You may have heard several podcasts where this has already been the case, and there's also an important sense in which many of the prior guests are part of an inter-network space of collaboration that blurs the boundaries for naming who is contributor to one thing more than another thing. This isn't about affiliation, and certainly not about exclusive affiliation. It's about naming that the Voicecraft context has the affordance of cultivating the voices of those who participate and or the connections between those voices and seeks to create pathways where they can contribute to the broader commons of interest in the themes, questions, and realities that Voicecraft responds to. So, without further ado then, let me introduce this conversation between Cameron Duffy and Ethan Wells. Very long-time listeners might recall that Cam has featured on the podcast before, a live event recorded in Melbourne in 2019 titled Disconnection in the Age of Connection. Cam is a close friend of mine and has a tremendous amount of insight and understanding to communicate about the physiological, psychological and metaphysical aspects of health and transformation. With a background in philosophy of science, for years he has worked in a psychotherapeutic context, counselling and supporting clients in profound states of disadvantage and dis-ease in their relations within themselves and their lives, who often grapple with multiple chronic dependencies unstable living conditions and histories of trauma. These are my words, by the way, but it's worth saying because there's something important about Cam's experience working in some of the most challenging psychological support programs that offers a kind of grounding contrast to his interests in more esoteric explorations of identity and functional optimization. Ethan is someone I encountered in the context of sharing podcasts with thinkers like Forrest Landry and John Viveki, He was part of a course titled Dialogic Guides, which ran in the network last year, and has become a deeply valued contributor across many sessions in the network, and also appearing on the podcast before in the episode titled Naming the Nameless. Ethan shares deeply in this conversation about the spiritual aspects of his recent journey, a chapter which developed with some responsiveness to his experience building a tech startup with his close friend Kyle, who is also part of the network. Now... The dialogue you're about to hear begins with a short clip from a lecture by the ethnobotanist and mystic Terence McKenna, and was invited with the theme of the relationship between culture and the individual as the departure point for exploration. Although Cam and Ethan have been part of multiple group conversations, this is the first time they've dialogued together one-on-one, 
And so, in part, this was also an effort toward connecting members of the network, and now sharing that effort with you, so that you might recognize pathways towards participating in kind. And if not actively as a network member, then here in this way right now, in an extended presence of effort to recognize the connections among us, and the opportunities for deepening our awareness of the patterns we weave and are woven by. Okay, that's about that. Thank you both to Cam and Ethan. You can find out more about each of them and their work in the world in the show notes. Oh, and the first voice you'll hear after Terence's is Cam's, who asks Ethan what he thought about the clip you're about to hear. Here we go. happy by standing on each other's shoulders and kicking each other's teeth in. It's not a pleasant situation. And yet, you can stand back and look at this planet and see that we have the money, the power, the medical understanding, the scientific know-how, the love, and the community to produce the kind of human paradise. But we are led by the least among us the least intelligent, the least noble, the least visionary. We're led by the least among us. And we do not fight back against the dehumanizing values that are handed down as control icons. Uh, this is something, I mean, I don't really want to get off on this tear because it's a lecture in itself, but culture is not your friend. Culture is for other people's convenience and the convenience of various institutions, churches, companies, tax collection schemes, what have you. It is not your friend. It, it insults you. It disempowers you. It uses and abuses you. None of us are well treated by culture. Uh, and yet we glorify you know, the creative potential of the individual, the rights of the individual. We understand the felt presence of experience is what is most important, but the culture is a perversion. It fetishizes objects, creates consumer mania, it preaches endless forms of false happiness, endless forms of false understanding in the form of swirly religions and silly cults. It, it invites people to diminish themselves and dehumanize themselves by behaving like machines. What was that like viewing that, the video just now? So it's the first time I've actually seen that clip. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> still digesting it. <laughs> a lot of it a lot of it resonated um, culture is not your friend it's interesting like as I watch myself orient towards this conversation given that we haven't spoken one-on-one -on -one and it's in this unique context there's a lot of internal sort of like mixed signals of like wait what do I do <laughs> you know how do I how do I engage in this particular context? Um, but one thing that was coming to mind was um, like in, in trying to get a sense of you, you know, to like try to feel into what we're doing. I have basically like two or like three things. One is just like the little bit of shared um, group conversations we've had, or maybe like seeing you speak a little bit here and there. Then there's like this paragraph that Tim sent me when proposing this conversation about you, which was like a very wonderful paragraph that made me super excited to have this conversation. And um, there's a lot of nice, nice things to say. And I felt there was a lot of rich stuff for us to, to go down. And so I've sort of pulled out that paragraph and wrote some notes earlier today about some of the things that he mentioned that could be areas of shared interest. So there's, that's the second thing. And then the third thing is that um, 
he referenced you appreciating that clip in particular. And after watching that clip, I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> like someone that, that vibes with this clip, I probably vibe with quite a bit. And so, yeah, all of those sort of, I guess, indicators are um, making me pretty excited about this and eager to see what, what unfolds. And so I got, I got the sense that there was some resonance with some of those words. I mean, that was quite a strong speech, um, you know, from someone like you know, Terence McKenna, who um, has some, had some profound experiences, I guess, informing what he, what he talks about. But um, it's also a bit of a shock because we all, you know, to some degree, um, we're, we participate <laughs> We're necessarily participants in different cultural landscapes, and you know the idea that there's some kind of unconsciousness going on at some level that does not afford recognition of an individual, perhaps, and the dynamics that unfold as a result of that—it's um, part of the tension we face individually as we kind of progress in our journeys in life. It seems. When when you think of the idea of culture what are some things that come to mind for you both personally and conceptually mm. because first I, I like what you said about the the way in which we have to participate in culture in order to try and change it and so that's that's often on my mind um, and for me that that really echoes the dynamic with, and I'll swing back to your question more directly, but um, the, the dynamic with sort of like awakening in awareness or sort of just becoming more conscious and taking more responsibility for one's interior world has a similar property where like you have to step outside of it in order to actually understand the dynamics at play. But then you also have to step back into it and fully embody and like dare to be in the form, so to speak, as the part. <laughs> and there's another kind of understanding that only comes from the inside. And so that sort of dual perspective from the inside of whether it's a part of self or part of culture with the sort of more omniscient standing back bird's eye view um, is something that's coming up. In terms of culture, what does that bring to mind for me? more generally. <sighs> I mean, I don't feel like I have a comprehensive description on the top of my mind, but a lot of, um, a lot of things like, like social norms, a lot of things like the contents of media of all kinds, um, a lot of the internal, um, the unhealthy internal dynamics that I find in myself and encounter in others seems to be largely a product of culture. And so that, that's like the way in which I relate to culture is not your friend. It's sort of that firsthand experience with there's something like a program or a set of patterns within me and others that is not actually um, life-giving. It's not actually supporting of greater wholeness, of greater like, vitality and um, alignment in life. Um, yeah, I'm curious what comes up for you in the same space. Yeah, I mean, that's a, certainly a description. Um... Yeah, there are patterns and there are ways of relating to one another and there's a kind of a co-identification uh, complex going on and you know they're different um i mean you can you can also look at that this is kind of like a, a broad cultural system to provide by economic and hierarchical aspects there but there's also obviously niche um, aspects of culture that kind of fit in with that obviously and that's kind of what has to happen to some degree. It's difficult to be completely outside of um, a kind of a, a core kind of um, culture in, in the economic sense. 
Um, so there's just the idea of a co-identification and um, kind of a protocol for interacting. But then there's also programs for um, you know, understanding what, the, what human nature might be or making some assumptions associated with that. And then those assumptions might come with them, the expectation that people uh, behave in certain ways. And um, where, where do some of these ideas come from? when it comes to, you know, the, the way things are supposed to be, you know, what makes that something, a, um, <laughs> what makes a certain shape, the shape we're supposed to take on um, as we participate um, in culture and uh, what is really going on there? You know, is, is this, is this, is, is this kind of um, fixated on the, the idea that there's someone uh, or some people that. Um, are making decisions and are trusted to do so. And there's the expectation that people follow along with that. Or like what you touched on earlier, is there a sense that there's this phenomenology uh, that we can be in touch with within ourselves? And um, that is where the real and the authenticity is, the real power of what it means to, to be alive can actually be felt into and um, experienced and, um, you know, one of the questions that comes to mind to me, how much of culture that might betray that, that sense of individual essence, how much of that is predicated on um, pretense and notions of um, existential anxiety? You know, how do we appease our existential anxieties? And um, is there, are we allowed to have different approaches to that uh, in terms of our choices or are there certain ways we're expected to kind of um, be shaped by that uh, supposed to be the answer to that? And um, you know, a lot of us might be drawn into a cultural kind of um, milieu uh, by the way in which we need to kind of develop into an understanding that um, as part of our development, we need to learn all about that. And, you know, it could be about um, you know, one of the domain, like the sciences or something like that, when we want to understand a particular domain's way of going about learning about the world. And there might be certain assumptions along with that, but we, we often like to master things like that because that's a graduated place in our development. And there's some merit to that, but then it's about, okay, where does that individual development part, you know, where, when does that learning and that kind of um, interjection of what is possible become in some distant relationship with a felt sense that there's more or there's um, another avenue that can be explored? And what happens when that you know, comes into um, consciousness, the idea that there's something else to be explored um, and it's not simply this kind of um, potentially rigid or confined approach to a set of relations that I must be kind of bound by? So those are some of the things that come to mind, I guess, when it comes to the way we can be drawn out into the world, into cultural um, patterns, but also um, when things don't quite work for whatever reason in, in our lives, um, how we actually form a relationship with that tension and where does that take us? You know? Nice, nice. Yeah, that brought up a lot of good stuff. So thank you for that. There's... What I was seeing as you were describing um, this sort of like self-propagating idea complex or mimetic complex where, you know, there's a lot of like interesting ideas around how ideas propagate, but one that I often come back to is to think about them in a sort of evolutionary sense. And they're sort of like searching out a, a space and trying to find a niche where they can sort of take hold. You know, the way I'm talking is sort of giving them agency in a way that doesn't really make sense, but it's just a useful way to talk about it. Um, I find that a lot of the sort of that evolutionary landscape is defined by the psyches that the ideas are sort of like playing with, right? And also co-creating of them. But in, the, in a very particular sense where in myself, there seems to be a way in which ideas interlock and, and sort of protect themselves by, by using extremely uncomfortable 
whether we want to call it like shadow or trauma or something like this, like uncomfortable places in psyche are sort of really high leverage points to use to sort of propagate a system and ensure that, that, you know, someone doesn't look for that other possibility, right? If the place that you have to look is straight into like the, the shadow, then less likely to look, you know? And so I, I think about that happening within myself on an individual level and definitely on a collective level. And that a lot of these ideas sort of are ground out in that um, in terms of like why they are so like it's sort of in some sense nonsensical, like how bad some of our shared understandings are culturally. But when I think about this, it starts to make a lot more sense because it, I just have seen myself how hard it is to actually face those things and how much I still will try to look away at, at certain times. Um, but yeah, and then looking at them, as you said, then there's like this opening, this greater possibility. Um, one theme in my life recently has been realizing the degree to which as I go deeper and deeper down the stack of these sort of unsavory parts of self, um, that more and more it seems I can only really feel it fully and face it fully when I'm supported. And how this is another self-propagating feature of our culture is that it has a incredible absence of the kinds of containers and, and rituals and understandings required to face some of like the deepest existential stuff and to really go there and sort of like, you know, be held and cry it out and like have those huge sort of releases that, that people experience often in like really good therapy or in like, um, plant medicine ceremonies and these kinds of things. Um, so yeah, I'm a, a part of me is wanting to like come back down to the personal. And like, I feel like we just laid out a really great sort of theoretical um, chunk. And I'm curious what ways you personally, since this is in part like a getting to know each other, like in what ways do your personal experiences touch on that? Like if, you, if there's any story you could share about that was like significant in your process of becoming and how it was sort of encountering some of these dynamics that we're speaking to. One kind of perspective to start on, I think, um, I, I revisited this recently, but um, there's a clip from Joe Rogan in which he, he, mentioned, and he talks about, um, you know, remember when we thought there were real adults and, um, then one, you know, um, you know, people that are able to um, know what's going on and um, take responsibility, that kind of a thing. And then you kind of uh, graduate in your own development to a certain point and um, someone addresses you like you're an adult when you don't feel like an adult. And um, then you realise at that point that maybe there's a pretense underlying every persona, right, that, you know, in a position of responsibility and... Um, you know, there's, there's so much. Um, one of the other things that came to mind was just the way in which without initiation that you touched upon with some of the themes you mentioned, um, so much of culture is necessarily an adaptation to trauma. And um, so how do we cope with um, a, a degree of unconsciousness and simply being triggered, but not, as you mentioned, having an outlet for actually being with that, right? And, and so the, the patterns become about, um, you know, not being able to be with that. What are the myriad of ways we can actually distract ourselves? What are the myriad of ways we can dull the pain, right? And short-term game sensibilities that lead to pain and disease over time. And so, um, and in that, in the context of that game, um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. It's about um, the feeding insecurities. It's about the having mode, right? existentially it's about uh, you know how do we exploit that mind state and um how do we create perpetuate programs that draw attention to our means of doing that versus someone else's and um yeah, there's there's a lot whenever there's unresolved trauma and that manifests in culture uh generally speaking we can understand that a lot of the short-term games such as accumulation 
um, without really looking at what's sustainable um, psychologically and otherwise, that can, that often kind of um, just is the result of that because um, and it's just like the the energy is kind of um, it's more impulsive. It's more about um, I just need to get through this. You know, I just need to ease this unfeeling of discomfort within me. I just need to have a sense of reassurance that this continuity that kind of props up my insecurity is going to um, remain as it is. And so, um, yeah, one of the themes there is just the way in which um, trauma kind of shapes culture and uh, the way we kind of people manifest in these persona, um, I guess, um, complexes. And it's, it's fundamentally in denial of something within themselves. And so if they're going to deny something within themselves, they're going to deny that same thing in someone else. And the norm is going to be about uh, denying, I guess, um, a greater participation. And, and there's going to be this sense of this unconscious kind of way in which we're supposed to be doing things. And if we don't do that, we're not going to be safe. And um, just to touch on the personal, a lot of... Um, I guess a lot of my journey, I guess, has been about graduating through a process of both um, learning the epistemic systems that inform culture, we might say, but also understanding um, the limits of those and, and feeling the pain of the limits of those in terms of not being able to resolve my um, inner pain or my um, manifestations of, um, you know, somatic manifestations of trauma. Those kind of shortcomings are, are not trivial to me. They're, um, major, major issues that are obviously perpetuating um, ill health and a lack of uh, a graduated evolution of our um, sense of who we are and our possibilities. And so discovering uh, the limitations of epistemic systems and the way those manifest in culture and actually learning to go within and actually um, you know, go out of certain, certain cultural systems and uh, comprehend what the possibilities are when philosophy becomes more embodied and less about being drawn out into this hierarchy of, um, you know, uh, schemas and semantics that kind of affix a game in a certain um, way and fix a sense of what is possible in a certain way. Going out of that is a, it's not an easy thing, as you'll be aware. It uh, requires an unbelievable amount of sacrifice of many of those kind of reasonably comforting or orderly co-identification complexes that we you know put a lot of energy into pursuing but um, you know many people for the sake of healing and growth um, will be drawn out of that and they'll have to go on that journey and you know in that journey if you're lucky you'll you might discover that um, there's far more than um, what culture would um, be able to comprehend as you kind of relate to it and um, learn from culture uh, and the more the mainstream I guess and there are possibilities that we can grow into that fundamentally transform our concept of who we are and what is possible and what we can do with our time and energy in a way that isn't simply being defined by our limitations or our ability to play certain games in a way that's already preconceived. I guess it gives us a sense of um, alternative and um, how to actually feel into that as a kind of revitalizing force to some degree. What was some of the uh, impetus in your life? Like, it, maybe for more context, there's, it seems like often breaking free of some of these dynamics requires incredible intensity. And like, really, it just has to become a necessity, you know, <laughs> oftentimes and be seen as such. Um, I'm curious what sort of context supported that kind of, to the degree that you have it resonate with what I'm saying, like what kind of life context helped you sort of realize that and sort of supported the energetic intensity needed to, to break through? I think I've quoted in, in, in a past session with many people involved, um, Young, when it comes to the idea of the unconscious creating an impossible situation so that you've kind of 
you've got to kind of go there, right? You've got to um, go, <laughs> you've got to do certain things. You've got to try a new possibility despite that uncertainty. You've got to just renounce just kind of, I mean, he'll in that um, translation refer to renounce your will um, to the, you know, impersonal process um, that I guess is part of it. And um, to put that in ordinary perspective, um, I mean, for me, it was it's kind of like what I described earlier. It was, um, actually at a deeper level it was it was about meaning making it was about um, what is this all about really you know what is what is <laughs> this thing we call life as human what is it about and um you know what is my early inspirations were things in terms of um there was always a sense that there's something transcendent and i i guess my early inspiration was science fiction when it comes to how that kind of envisions transcendent possibilities but um the it was always contextualized in terms of the culture's idea, which is going out and using external technologies to, um, you know, um, travel through, throughout this, the external space. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the way um, transcendence, I think, um, in a, kind of manifests in, uh, in our cultures often there's, there's, there's a lot there, but it's, it's, it's so much about being drawn out into, into space and using kind of, um, technologies to sort of that it sort of betray a sense of the self that can be transcendent within right and so um that's part of the the process though i think that's part of um uh, kind of us trying to find the passion for you know what what is possible and, and learn some ways in which that can be achieved to some degree when it comes to some kind of liberation and um but when back to sort of yeah how this relates to meaning making and personally um, there was always a need to sort of um, understand and make sense of, you know, what what it means to um, have this experience in a human body. And so um, initially, as I mentioned, with science fiction, that kind of inspired me to um, be drawn into the sciences. And um, but um, development also comes with what comes with development, I should say, is also um, the tensions and the, the traumas, all that kind of a thing. So functionally, you've got to actually move through a transformational process before you're really ready to um, absorb information properly and do something constructive with that. And so um, the more artistic aspects of transformation um, captivated me at quite a, a young age. And, um, and it became about combining what can be learned through things like empirical studies and also the artistic process and merging those and um, trying to find a way that seemed um, a bit more well-informed and um, a bit more curious than the culture would allow really. And um, pain has been my biggest teacher, I think, when it comes to, I guess, um, really driving that curiosity into a place of, you know, what cultures have um found discovered what and what have they used in healing and um how do they make meaning of um all of this existence stuff as they kind of create initiatory spaces and um you know how does this actually give a sense of life being possible when you can otherwise be stagnated by different forms of suffering um, addiction whatever it might be that you kind of um grabbing onto just to get through each day um, before you're able to kind of let go of all of that and just go through a transformative process. Um, so, um, I mean, to, to, to condense your question into one thing, I'd probably say um, just a combination of um, pain that needs that, you know, um, there's one saying, I guess, um, that without pain, there wouldn't be the will nor the reason to think or create. <laughs> And so um, that's a big deal for a lot of us. And a lot of people don't exit a cultural kind of a system in terms of their identity and what they want to put their time and energy to until that system fails to, I guess, um, assist them with the pain. Um, and so they might be forced into this other place of, all, you know, how do I exist? So I need to go to this other place and explore if I've got any answers to how I actually resolve this and learn how to exist through that transformational process. Um, 
different um, personalities will have just different uh, needs when it comes to this. And so that and just the meaning making in terms of, you know, how do we actually understand um, how to relate to things meaningfully in philosophical context? And what does that imply in terms of what we should devote ourselves to and, you know, individually? And um, how can we create something that is perhaps... Um, it feels more alive than, you know, the, the, the pre-established cultural systems of experience for whatever their merits might be. Um, you know, what is really giving a sense of um, that feeling of being alive um, as, you know, that helps us, I guess, wake up each day and realise and, I guess, feel motivated to actually participate and be creative and solve problems and, not feel kind of stunted with the cards we've got to play with in that process. Mm. I love that and can relate to all those core elements very much. The, the meaning, um, you know, what the hell's going on here, the pain providing the impetus, um, and particularly the realizing that the, the cultural system is part of what's failing to adequately respond to that pain being this part of the thing that sort of kicks us out into the new space. Um, yeah, I have a similar sort of experience of that um, in a lot of ways. This sense of where are the adults that you were speaking to <laughs> was a very prevalent um, theme for me for most of like um, my like early to mid 20s and sort of going through the world and sort of going to these you know different institutions and places where supposedly the it must be those people are here right of anywhere they must be here they must be there and then getting there and being like nope <laughs> still not here and um, ultimately coming to realizations you were describing about how um, that's largely not entirely maybe but it's largely just non-existent in our current culture because it's not affording of real wisdom development over like a lifespan um, and that that became acutely sort of known to me in an embodied sense when I was working on this uh, tech startup that I co-founded with a dear friend and um, Kyle who's also in the network and I remember just pouring my heart and soul into this. Like I really wanted to show up sort of as capably and with as much integrity and capacity for the project as I could, because I believed in what we were doing. I genuinely wanted to create something valuable. It for sure was also still wound up in, in seeking like status and, um, and recognition and these kinds of things. But um, there was a lot that was pure and I remember as I went into it so intensely and started to realize that the very pragmatic day-to-day -day functioning of just showing up and performing at a, the level I needed to in order to sort of be a, a leader of a small team, to learn a bunch of skills very rapidly, to interface with like investors and potential hires, and to manage all of that was putting me into contact with um, parts of myself that I hadn't ever had to confront. And I just, just did not know how to navigate that realm and started to feel a deep, and, and I looked in all the normal cultural sort of places to help with that and just didn't find anything sufficient. And there was this yearning for something like real embodied wisdom, you know, like some legit elder that could be like contextualize the phase of life that I was in and speak to the challenges in a way that's reaffirming and, you know, reorienting towards sort of creating more wholeness and not sort of devolving into like fear-based behavior and, and sort of spiraling down. Um, like there was like a part of my inner, you know, knowing was just aware, almost like my animal body was aware that that was not here and that it was needed for the necessary development to actually occur. Um, and so I, I went through a series of trying to basically initiate myself through this life transformative period 
and largely failed. You know, I was, I was doing things like endurance stuff, like pushing myself really hard to like dig down deep existentially. I got really into um, a bunch of like wisdom traditions, but still in a very like isolated way. Um, I was really into Navy SEAL culture because they at least have like some sort of rite of passage initiation type of thing going on. And it's sort of that sort of overly disciplined warrior spirit was sort of one way of coping with the chaos, sort of a doubling down on trying to control everything. Um, so yeah, there's like all of these attempts over a few years to make that transition. And it ultimately didn't really occur. And it more led to something like a simultaneous mental breakdown and spiritual breakthrough. And so in like the day-to-day -day life, I became, there was a massive decrease in just like pragmatic functional capacity. <laughs> I could not show up in the way I needed to. I just lost a lot of agency. And at the same time, that breakdown opened up so much room for that possibility space you're speaking to to sort of be taken seriously and to like dare to tread in, in a new direction that was ultimately extremely positive. But yeah, man, the, the need for sort of life transformative initiations, rituals, and the support and wisdom to go through those is something that's becoming a passion of mine that I think I may try to cultivate for others in the future. And it's directly informed by just experiencing the consequences of not having it. And what, what thing, what do you think it awakened within you that was the real essence of transformation? Is there anything that you can kind of name in itself or that comes to mind when you think about the real essence of what developed in you that kind of took you to the next level? Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different language that I actually like to use to talk about it. And a bunch of people, you know, prefer different language and maybe have allergies to certain language, but um, it, it was in the direction of sort of surrendering to God or a sense of divinity. You know, I, I think I, I'm, I use different language at different times. So I'm trying to remember back at the time, how did I actually think about it? Because I had been like a pretty, I was sort of like swept up in the new atheist thing from my teens into early 20s. And then psychedelics really started to open things up in like early to mid 20s. And I became more agnostic. Um, I don't know exactly how I would have talked about the time, but it was this, um, it's something, it was something in the direction of like a non-dual interconnected reality just starting to become known on an embodied level and the the pathway towards it for me at the time involved like experientially these like multiple massive sort of surrenderings to some sense of a higher power and that was seemed to be reorganizing the sort of priority of the different patterns of my psyche um, in a much more functional way, much more harmonious way. Like they had gotten so out of whack after like pushing and pushing and pushing so hard and, and um, burning out and developing something like a split personality thing for a little while, like a bunch of crazy stuff was happening. And all of that was so beautiful because it, it created that absolute necessity where, you know, it, it's sort of like, I got to the point where I was open to anything as if it, if it worked, if it helped. And so then like any part of me that, that in those moments of like deep down in the depths of, of like darkness, any sense of me that's um, like, well, metaphysically, does surrendering to something like a God make sense right now? Like that was so washed away. It was like, if I'm going to live, if I'm going to take another breath, and that can help me to take one more breath, then sure, <laughs> you know, 
so it was like it was this very just functional um sort of thing which was beautiful because it stripped away the non-essential and at the time I probably would have had like in the following like six months I probably would have had relatively closed-minded and in some ways dogmatic beliefs about the particular ways that I thought about divinity because of how much that way of thinking was giving me a life raft. Like it was sort of this life raft out of hell. And I think I was very attached to it in some sense. And, but then it was sort of like necessary and in some ways just developmentally what was needed. And then as, as I got sort of back into like a more holistic, like grounded, okay space and the psyche started to reorganize itself and stabilize, then much more subtle, lighter sort of perspective started to come in, much more sort of sophisticated, nuanced metaphysics started to come in and appeal. It's like, oh, okay, like I can still have all the good that that was giving me without some of the negatives of needing it to be any particular way. You know, it's like the, and understanding why the part of me feared letting go of that particular understanding because of how essential it was. And so it gave me a lot of empathy for um, the more dogmatic religions, because I think there are just like the people that, that sort of engage in that with all the issues that we're all well aware of, but there's, I do think at certain times in life, like there's just a, there's something like you just need food to eat to keep living. And that these different narratives um, and understandings can be that food and, and they can be a bridge to a level of stability where one has the luxury of engaging in more sophisticated, um, like multi-perspectival approaches to divinity. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of um, describing just the um, almost evolutionary utility of some of these belief systems. And regardless of how naive they are, the kind of, you know, the one initial kind of um, identity one can take on before development, you know, can progress to a more sophisticated and flexible comprehension. But until that um, happens, the kind of primary schema um, creates a mode of orientation, which is, you know, provides that order and provides that nourishment. Um, and, you know, if that's rigid, it's um, maybe that's relates to the environment from which it came from that required a certain level of rigidity to survive. But um, notice the cultural tensions when these things come together and um, because they're, you know, quite rigid and um, it creates all kinds of issues when it comes to feeling threatened within ourselves and all, the, you know, all those kind of things. And another thing you mentioned that, um, yeah, really is congruent with my understanding and my own path in some way is just the way we kind of, similar to what I just said, we kind of graduate through uh, epistemic um, programs. Um, you know, it might be that um, we think, well, you know, those dogmatic relig religions kind of, they might kind of infantilize people, uh, exoteric religion to some degree, especially the monotheistic ones. Um, so the sciences or, you know, rational thought, so-called rational thought, you know, that's the next level, you know, of um, less predicated, we might think on um, simply um, control functions and are more about just actually finding um, systems um, for modeling information and uh, experimenting and, building knowledge in ways that um, are more reliable and less predicated on, um, I guess, something that's um, powerful but easy to manipulate like our emotional lives. And so graduating into that kind of a, a mindset where, um, yeah, kind of like what you mentioned with the new atheist movement where you're kind of drawn away from a concept that you culturally come, came to know is associated with um, uh, concepts of the divine but again that was a kind of a, a very fixed way of looking at that and so now you're kind of in a more linear way of thinking almost and you're kind of saying that well we can actually identify the the parts of the world and we can model them mathematically and so we don't need that kind of um that almost um you, know, you can name a few philosophers here but almost like that um that childish need to be taken care of you know we might this might be some of the ways um atheists might look at that um, but then as you kind of look at um, 
the limitations of um, the scientific paradigm as it manifests in industrial culture and the the result of that as you know in terms of our health and our our sense of connection um, taking a hit from that and to some degree and the way in which the personal journey actually asks for a bit more meaning than that kind of affords, right? Because you're still left with um, questions about, okay, well, how did it begin? And, you know, just like Rupert um, Sheldrake would say, you don't get one free miracle, you know, and the rest is all scientifically comprehensible, right? You actually need to understand in the context of everything else, that one free miracle you get that, you know, everything kind of um, has become the way it is and evolved, you know? Um, And so, you know, then we become more integrative of um, various philosophies and perhaps become cognizant of the way in which culture formed around certain philosophies, which lead to certain methods and um, certain ways of teaching, but that there are new possibilities and that some um, systems of understanding developed under different connection, conditions and they involve going within and understanding um, psyche is not simply an epiphenomenon, but actually something that is... Um, more intrinsic to the nature of everything um and interestingly in the last you know 100 years or so many um people looking at the tiniest um bits and pieces we can model mathematically in the quantum fields have actually realized that well something is going on where how potentiality is kind of forming and in a way that's just detectable um when we can detect either you know um momentum um of a, a wave function um or its position and just some of those weird logical paradoxes it's like well we actually need to actually consider a lot of what happened in the east when it comes to how things were understood when we arrive at paradox and a lot of this kind of um, brings us to the point of realizing that well maybe things are not simply um, the way when we get drawn out into um, viewing them a certain way through our culture maybe things are kind of a bit more magical and beyond our comprehension than what we might consider that you can't just take them as discrete units that there's something more magical underlying that going on and as you kind of go into those spaces that you referred to that um you know, much of industrial culture just doesn't uh, integrate uh, and you know there's, there's a lack of consilience amongst you know fields of learning and then often industrial culture and, and academia and there's there's not this kind of um, psycho-integrative impetus um, but as you go to those spaces where traditions have actually harnessed the processes for enabling that we then learn that wow um, when we shut off that default mode of our brain you know, new possibilities can be realized new configurations of how everything kind of comes together and can be understood and that seems to correlate with the way in which our body has these self-healing capacities, a kind of inner intelligence, right? And it's, it's very interesting the way that works in with um, a reconnection with uh, the eco- ecological system um, as participants, right? As not simply people that have survived it and kind of now need to protect ourselves from it and um, kind of reduce it to something that we survive, but actually seeing it as an intelligent and something that um, we can actually form a deeper relationship with and something that does actually afford healing if we're able to harness um, some of its attributes and you know, buy synthetic products in the right way. And, and so it's quite unexpected the way you can kind of step outside of those previous cultural frames and the epistemic limitations of those and actually embody something that is both healing and leads to a new understanding that uh, incorporates the transcendent as simply a self-evident attribute of that which manifests and you know leads to our individual journeys and leads to paradigms changing throughout history as people i guess come up with new possibilities i mean um you know modern science seems to have been unpacked as a method from Rene descartes having a dream in which you know an angel supposedly appeared to him and said the way to master nature is through number and measure right and so we've got um this almost collective unconscious like signal um organizing an idea which manifests as a paradigm and draws people out in a certain way and um you know therefore the power of the unconscious is um an initiation point just like that one free miracle with the universe being created you know there's these mystical elements that um, 
people are reluctant to form a relationship, probably because, as you mentioned earlier, the shadow aspect and, and the unconscious in general is so intimidating. It's so intimidating to actually uh, entertain the collapse of our model of, you know, the ordered systems of uh, operating in the world and actually kind of try and be with a new formation, a new creation within ourselves as we kind of um, come to terms with all these things and um, entertain new possibilities. But it seems to be the challenge of the journey that really to actually um, figure out what is possible and what that implies and how that um, shapes our identity as self-transforming agents capable of incredible things. And how do we then relate to the kind of um, structures in place that um, will not acknowledge that reality because they're not kind of set up paradigmatically um, or in terms of social um, protocols to actually embody that as a kind of a way of relating to each other. So that seems to be part of our great challenge. It's, you know, when we become revitalized by a sense of connection, having realized what doesn't work otherwise, how do we actually kind of merge the two, right? How do we, um, and, you know, and in terms of our personal journeys and how we actually communicate and also acknowledge the challenges that you kind of mentioned earlier with the, the unconscious and needing to kind of rigidly hold on to some ordering principle. You know, a lot of people will just simply struggle with that on a daily basis. So they'll need a sense of the culture to kind of remind them of what they can do just to, you know, take that step. And, and so, you know, we're kind of in these different places and um, it seems like what we share in common though is coming back to breath and that, uh, I guess, um, that sense that beyond all these appearances, there is some kind of unifying principle that you referred to earlier, that then kind of this non-dual thing that is barely comprehensible, but has a kind of um, hope in it as we form a relationship with it and become inspired by that. Totally. Nice. Um, just get mindful of the time. We have like a few minutes left. Um, yeah, man, the, I guess some closing remarks that, that come to mind for me. Um, the degree to which facing the unconscious is intimidating, I think is so dependent on the, the sort of conceptual understanding around it and the, the social context supporting it like i i imagine it would still be scary for sure but if the the wisest most respected admirable people that i knew were able to say hey there you know hey young man <laughs> what you're what you need to do is something like face the unconscious but it's very clearly directly tied to the fulfillment of your highest aspirations like everything you want, everything you value, everything you hope for is through that. And while it's going to be scary and it's going to be hard, there's no way around that. We're going to hold you through it. And also, we're going to be there to help you not just hold you through it, but guide you through it with the necessary wisdom and understanding. And it turns out, you know, and then here's the best part. It turns out, young man, that when you look into the deepest, darkest fears, they kind of just dissolve and you realize a lot of it really is something like an illusion. And it's all this crazy, miraculous <laughs> sort of realization that you can come to, you know, and like, just imagine that sort of understanding being culturally normal <laughs> with the right system in place. It completely changes the calculus in terms of one's willingness and desire to face these things. And so, yeah, I guess I'm just excited about creating, creating communities with the understanding and capacity to do that and to have those be, you know, the seeds of the culture that's actually a little bit more sane. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, in terms of like just closing, like wrap up thoughts on, on what we just did. One, this was a lot of fun. It was cool to get to know you like sort of for the first time in a recorded context and explore ideas and our personal experiences. Um, so thank you for being up for this. And I'm also feeling a lot of gratitude for Tim for sort of thinking of this and thinking of us potentially enjoying it and then proposing it and setting up all the logistics and all that. So shout out to Tim as well. Hey, 
<laughs> did you have a power nap? Did you? Amazing. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck you guys spoke about. I uh, I was playing FIFA. No, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting I was listening, of course. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the journey. You can visit voicecraft.io to find out more about this project, the network, the mailing list, opportunities to participate, upcoming courses in the Voicecraft Academy, as well as access the show notes for this episode. That's voicecraft.io. And thank you as always to the patrons of the podcast at patreon.com voicecraft. That's where you can pledge a small amount each month to support this work. And if you can't support the podcast in that way, but you value this content and appreciate its values and purpose, then leave a review or share it to someone else you think will. All right. Until next time. Thank you for being here.